0: This is Spice Bags, the podcast that was originally something like Irish food in a global context. But I think these days we're doing a little bit more of a kind of uh, we've turned a bit more pragmatic given what everyone's facing at home. And um, we hope that's okay with you guys. So I'm Julia. I'm Blanca. And I'm May. And enjoy our interview with Dominique Kemp. So far, we've done this podcast in a beautiful studio. And the podcast studio is down on whatchamacallit Lane.
1: Off of Pierce Street, but it's so beautiful.
0: It's so beautiful. Gorgeous carpeted walls. The idea of carpeted walls is very enticing to me right now. Like, uh, you know, throw me in a straight jacket, I'd be happy as Larry.
1: We're um, surrounded by drying laundry.
0: Yes. We're obviously in our own <laughs> home. So, r- dear listener... Um sound quality isn't what it was, but uh information quality is even better than it was because today we're talking to Domini Kemp. Um and May, do you want to just maybe give us a little sense of who Domini is for those of you who don't know her already? I mean, she's um a quote celebrity chef in these parts. Yeah. I
1: mean, she's just a badass like female food entrepreneur. You know, she she brought bagels to Dublin. Um so she operates the I think it's called the Itza Restaurant Group, um, and that has Alchemy Juice. She also kind of brought juicing to Dublin. Alchemy Juice, uh, Joe's, the Itza Bagels, Hatch and Sons. Uh, she's got a restaurant at the uh, Mully uh, Museum of Literature and um, and then a restaurant at Brown Thomas. Uh, but she came, you know, again, sort of woman with her sister in 2000 and began this empire and really did introduce... And where did she me? come from? She's, she wasn't from, raised here? No, she was born in the Bahamas.
0: So, we yeah, we were saying that we'd actually... She'd be a great person to just have a, a looser conversation with someday about her experience just opening, you know, entering the food world in Ireland and her thoughts about that. But today we had a much more targeted conversation about, you know, what she sees happening in the restaurant world, what the future looks like. It's also a
1: right... I mean, she has she has a number of books out. She's got a ketogenic book, but she also has Dominique at Home. Dinner, uh, which I've been sort of grazing, which is a little bit like the bookkeepers, which I love. And it's very practical these times where everyone's cooking at home. She was um, the
0: Irish Times food columnist. For she like was the years, Irish right? Times
1: food columnist, I think, since like 2011. Um, and I did. I remember following her because she was using different spices and, you know, things were very simple. And yet every week you would be guaranteed to have a different flavor profile.
0: Yeah, she's really cool and smart. I'm really glad we got her on. Um, so listen, I hope everyone at home is, uh, safe and sound, um, cooking their tits off and we hope you enjoy this conversation. How is everyone? <laughs> like, what are our sanity levels? Is everyone okay? <laughs>
2: yeah, I think, it, you know, it's, it's just, it's such a bizarre, uh, situation because on the one hand, we're all feeling kind of miserable and sort of going, when is this going to end? And then On the other hand, I keep trying to remind myself we have water, we have electricity, we have access to food, there are no bombs going off, and it's trying to keep it in perspective. But I suppose, selfishly, from a business point of view, it's uncertain because you can't plan for everything, you know, you're trying to do cash flows for the rest of the year, you know, we've laid off a bunch of staff. you're, you know, there's money going out, there's no money coming in. And it's about managing, for most businesses now, it's about managing cash flow for the next little while. And I guess yeah. that's the concern. And whilst there's a lot of goodwill out there in terms of people saying, right, we'll we'll, we'll freeze rent, no evictions and stuff, people's, I suppose, appetite for um, consideration is going to wane as pressure mounts on everyone. And so that's the concern. Whilst we all might be quite um, pleasant now in three months, it might be a very different sort of set of parameters under which we're all trying to to survive and get back open so I'm just hoping that the goodwill stays and of course then you hear all these reports about you know the overwhelming hospitals and everything and I suppose people feeling sort of helpless but they're not able to do more around that. So, yeah,
0: well, I think maybe for today's conversation, let's kind of bracket the larger anxieties about like, you know, let's, let's talk about the financial realities and the the kind of the food world situation and we'll bracket for the moment, the larger, mm. um, you know, like anxieties around the big questions about like health and, you know, survival and whatever. Um, cause sometimes I know you mean, it can feel a little bit, um, precious to be worrying about, you know, to have, to be worrying about the financial health of the restaurant industry when everything else, everything's tanking and hospitals are filling up. But on the other hand, this is a, this, this is a lot of people's livelihoods. Yeah. Um, and these, you know, restaurants are like, uh, they're so important to communities as well. You know, they matter so much to the fabric of people's lives. Completely. And, you know, I think Michael Kelly
2: from, um, Grow It Yourself, he came out with his statistic recently that, um, restaurants feed 40 percent of the population once or twice a week which is a huge amount and i suppose dining out has very much revolutionized especially in this country in the last kind of 10 20 years um you know when you go back 30 40 years in terms of the sort of handful of fine dining restaurants uh to what it is now yeah i suppose the disruption then the delivery companies have also um have sort of have created so people's uh, expectation of eating restaurant food it's not like it's a, a, a once a month treat or once a year treat it's once or twice a week and there's this crazy expectation and that's been yanked out of people's uh weekly routines and i guess it's interesting to see then everyone kind of trying to get people to cook and and to to force them to to go back and and actually get out the pots and pans themselves and and you know, maybe that'll be some of the good that'll come out of this whole thing is that people actually do more cooking for themselves, which is a good thing. I was yeah. going
1: to, I was going to say, actually, uh, sorry to interrupt Jules, but um, no. I was going to say that it's interesting, right? Because you have sort of two hats. One is this restaurant entrepreneur. And the mm. other, of course, is you as an author, yes. which is very much like at home dinner, you know, and the creative ways in which people can cook at home which i feel like would be books that people are going to be grabbing off of the
2: shelves now completely and you know i find myself conflicted all the time when it comes to food uh, food and pleasure food and health food and society and community and education i'm i'm i spend my whole time just sort of wanting to to weep sometimes because it, it it is it's it can be so divisive. Um, and I suppose when you look at the nutrition wars that go on, um, you know, and they, they're quite vicious, they've sort of replaced the religious wars. Um, but the one thing, even people who really are ardent, uh, you know, uh, d- disagreeers on everything, the one thing everyone does agree on is getting people to cook is fundamentally one of the best ways you can take more control of your health. And we're losing this entire generation of children never being able to cook because parents aren't cooking, they're all working out of the house and the home. And then we have this massive influx of food that's being delivered and instant food and food that's being created by the food companies. So losing those skills, and that's why there's such pressure now to potentially um, look at how we could incorporate more food education into the, the curriculum because these are these are vital life skills and they are definitely under threat.
0: So a couple of like in January of this year, just a few weeks ago, you gave an interview to the Irish Times where you said that restaurant, you're forecasting that restaurants in Ireland were going to be closing um, Mm -hmm. because of these incremental squeezes of uh, wage increases and um, environmental costs and VAT increases, um, things that aren't in and of themselves problematic. But then you put them together and they were just becoming too much for restaurants to handle without, I know that asking people to predict the future is an impossible thing, but still, I, I guess, what do you, you were already describing a really difficult situation. Now we've had this catastrophe. Yes. Do you think this is going to force a change that would have been slower in coming? What do you think the big changes are going to be? What do you think things are going to look like when the dust settles?
2: yes yeah, so this is the the guillotine i suppose to the as opposed to the slow drip and you know if we go back to 2008 and, and i mean it is crazy in some ways when you think 2008 hey, you serve your restaurant group survived 2008 you started it in did. 2000 yeah exactly and so we, we're we've sort of seen two massive you know sort of problems within our 20-year history um and you know th- the thing is that 2008 felt like how long could you hold your breath for? That was yeah. the thing. it was like could you just get through and we doubled the size we kind of we doubled down on it. we doubled the size of our business and we grew out of the recession um, which was hard to do, but we did it and we got through it. And um, this one, I think is is uh, is different in that there won't be those kind of slow decisions. It'll be like bang. People will just go and hit the wall very, very quickly. Um, and during the last recession, I suppose there was some good in that a lot of new entrants came into the restaurant world who, say, weren't burdened by a lot of debt. They had maybe lost their jobs somewhere else and they decided to open up restaurants. So we had a bunch of really great new entrants, places like Eto and, say, Basketball, mm. you know, where you had chef patrons opening up these really incredible, small, intimate, but fabulous food, you know, and, and they were, I guess, giving two fingers up to the establishment in some ways. It it was this, this reversal instead of this sort of fine dining push. It was just really great food a more casual service. You had that whole Nordic influence.
0: So it really made the restaurant scene so much more interesting. So there was some aspect of kind of creative destruction to the way that what rents went down or were loans were available. Exactly. And people, you know, premises became available
2: and, you know, for very little cost, you could you could enter the market. I think this is going to be more vicious and it'll be literally a, a separation of those that can survive and those that can't. Um, And it it, it will be, as I said, it'll be like a guillotine coming down on a lot of businesses.
1: I was going to say, right, I mean, in my experience in New York, when the recession happened, Mm. one of the reasons why actually a lot of food businesses profited or there were new businesses mushrooming is because of the recession. Because when people have less money, they're they're not spending it on couture or pedicures or manicures or whatever. But they're like, oh, we will go out and have a meal.
2: Exactly. It was a sort of more meaningful and thoughtful approach to spending money. And maybe we've seen that change in the last few years and people concerned that we're getting back into this sort of Celtic tiger zone. Don't think it got as bad as that, but definitely sort of veering towards that. Um, and then you have these inflationary pressures like your VAT, like wage increases, like rents coming back, key money coming back into the, into play. And suddenly you, you, you know, your margins are getting squeezed all the time. And that creativity that is sometimes um,
0: a a possibility that gets squeezed as well. Do you think that, um, so a lot of restaurants have tried to turn themselves into takeaway operations. And I was reading recently about the huge percentage that Americans spend. I don't know, I I haven't seen stats in, in Europe, but of their paychecks on takeaway, it's like as much on takeaway as groceries or something. <laughs> uh, there's there's a recent article in the Atlantic about it, um, but it, it like do you? I mean, is this just a temporary survival thing, or do you think that? I mean, are there are also questions about whether it's ethical in this moment right now, which I don't want to I don't want to pronounce on. But to, to keep people working in kitchens even for takeaway, like is it possible to social distance in a working restaurant kitchen and things like that? But um, do you think that we're going to see restaurants get creative with this kind of small, locally owned restaurants, which are the ones that are really under the guillotine blade, as you put it? Yeah, um, you know, and that don't have the kind of insulation that or, that the major chains and big corporate enterprises have. Mm.
2: Yeah, I think you know, and it's it's funny. I I see some of the backlash that that exists for people that are remaining open, but actually, you know what? They're adapting, they're pivoting, they're doing something, and you know, are they putting people at risk? Well, I think if the staff are happy to go in and work and they are, you know, keeping appropriate food hygiene, which, you know, restaurants and food businesses do, there doesn't seem to be any evidence that, you know, food is an issue with regards to the, the virus and food packaging isn't necessarily an issue. So really, on that basis, the risk is minimized. And actually, this is one of the probably the only sources of joy people are getting every week in terms of having um, a delivery of delicious food or well,
0: preach restaurant. I've well, yes, absolutely. So if I, my local I, restaurant weren't opened, I would be a very different woman right now.
2: Well, that's it. And I mean the thing is it's such it's such it's so nice
0: to be presented with food (laughs) that you didn't make yourself which (laughs) is is. becoming the only restaurant I attend
3: Dominique I wanted to ask you uh what do you think is happening in Irish homes as we speak it's more like from your experience as a cookbook writer and you know your experience of dealing with lots of customers in lots of different restaurants what do you think people at home are cooking uh people who are working uh doing homeschooling Uh, From what you've seen uh, that's been missing from the supermarket aisles, how do you think people are getting through this
2: as a mom also? (laughs) Yeah, I think there are kind of two camps. I mean, I I know myself. I'm um, trying to actually delve into all the piles of cookbooks that I have that I tend to skim through and actually making the effort to cook other dishes. So Alison Roman's book arrived maybe three weeks ago. Uh, four weeks ago, um, her recipes and, are so good. Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely, I have the worst girl crush on her. It's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm completely professionally food writing, crushing all over her. Um, so I've been cooking bits and pieces from her book, and she seems to have as un- unhealthy an obsession with anchovies as I do. Um, and uh, so that's that's wonderful. So I think probably there's a lot of people that are maybe taking the time to actually open up those books that sit on their shelves, gathering dust. And then there's another camp that are probably it's pesto pasta, um, because it's sort of just it's it's all too much, you know. And it's it's it, they're not going to necessarily change. And food is becoming probably a source of of angst and um, frustration and just a burden that they don't really need now. So I guess anyone who is able to try and find some joy and solace in cooking, um, is, is finding that and the rest are, are turning to Deliveroo and, and, just eat and so
0: on. Yeah. Well, it's also a question of time. Like, wouldn't I love to master the art of French cooking, you know, in these couple of weeks, but instead, like, you know, I've got kids to run after. And, um, I think, I think for a lot of people, that's a big problem. It's just like the drudgery of having mouths to feed. And, and like you know, um, even like nutritionally, I feel like I'm not getting any fresh vegetables into them because that's the hardest mm. thing to restock. And yes, uh, we have this like very carb, he- you know, pantry cooking is carb, carb cooking. It
1: is it? with no, occasional, kind of- occasional tins of chickpeas, which is still <laughs> carb heavy. But you know, you're like, oh, yeah, no, I have another tin of, of chickpeas. Yeah. I was like chickpeas and anchovies. I dream yeah. about them. Um, I actually somewhat related to actually what you and Julia were saying was. I know that I had um, a bit of a 1980s mainland China kid meltdown. Domini, I, I always know you as sort of the juice girl. Like you are the healthy, you're the healthy girl. So as far as fresh fruits and vegetables, what can we be safe to eat? Like, you know, because in China, right, you have to peel everything. You have to wash everything with salt. It's not recommended that you eat anything salad
2: like yeah. at all.
1: This was in the 80s. But just what what would be your take on this?
2: Yeah. So it, it, it's fascinating. I remember actually to um, my sister-in-law, she lives in Milan and she was saying when she was pregnant, you know, they were obsessed the the, you know, um, the OBGYNs and everything were obsessed with telling Italian women not to eat salad leaves, you know, because again, it was Are you serious. Yeah. That it was like avoid salad because of, of the risk. Whereas her Irish friend, who was pregnant at the time was, was being told, you know, avoid pate, avoid this, avoid shellfish and stuff. So it was interesting how different approaches and different countries and the different advice. I, well, guess I keep
1: th- remembering the salmonella, uh, is it sal- salmonella, yes, salmonella? Right. Yeah. From, um, from spinach.
2: Yes, yeah. And right, then was it scare was, you know, you know, like, and yeah, then, yeah. yeah. it and you look, these things you know, they happen on a sort of grand scale. Um, but usually they're they're resolved pretty quickly because of, of the sort of food traceability systems in place. But um I guess the, the the you know, non-peeled fruit and veg obviously has much higher concentrations of vitamins and minerals and compounds and yes. like if you take a raw apple, for example, and you don't peel it. Uh, if you leave the skin on and you just wash it, you're going to have fi- higher levels of, say, vitamin K, vitamin A, vitamin C, potassium, and, and so on. Um, you know, and vegetable peel also contains a lot more fiber. And we know about the benefits of that, a much higher level of uh, antioxidants. People will feel fuller.
1: Eating a piece of unpeeled fruit, which is delicious. Yes. And that you, you know, and it's the bacteria or whatever, and just being incredibly sick afterwards. And that was yeah. sort of when I so I was going with Corona, for instance. I was like, oh shoot, should I be <laughs> observing those same practices, or is it different?
2: I I think it's I think it's fine, you know. It, it just to wash fruit and vegetables, and I said if you want to give them an extra scrub, uh, and put a little cider vinegar in the water that you're washing them with, just to give them an extra bit some studies show that you remove up to 40 percent of any pesticides by washing fruit and vegetables thoroughly so you're getting rid of a good chunk of things and there's absolutely no evidence currently to suggest that uh food is any kind of carrier of that there that you can pass on the virus through food that just does not look like a, a there's any evidence to support that so i think you're, yeah, you're, but- you're safe enough
0: that's yeah, actually good to know. <laughs> this whole conversation was starting to give me, like, a whole new anxiety. I was like, thanks a lot, May. I really, I really didn't need this. It was full up. Um, but, no, I wanted to just pivot back to the restaurant thing for one thing, before, before for one question before we, like, move on to home cooking and stuff, um, which is, like, what can we do? What can we consumers do? Like, if we love our local restaurants and they bring, you know, I'm realizing now how much – simple things like the banter that I had with the waiters that like the place that we went to the most, you know, like they matter. And like, you know, what can, what can, what can consumers do? I mean, besides from buying vouchers, which I don't even think, you know, may or may not be helpful. I mean, is there anything that we who aren't actually part of the industry, but are supporters of it, you know, how, what behaviors can we take on or, you know, what can we do to help?
2: Well, look, I think anyone that's um, advertising either vouchers for sale or whether they're doing delivery services or anything, if, if people are in a position to to um, support delivery system, perfect, you know, then, you know, restaurants are actually taking the time and investing in the staff and the, the food. actually provide those services so they're definitely worth supporting um you know and i I do understand some people are grumpy about it but um you know i I think that they're they're doing a a great service and a great job and they are taking care and you know the difficulty with these uh types of crises is that you know like a company like apple you know a, a Consumers will still buy a new Apple phone in the future. This virus isn't necessarily going to going to stop them from doing that, but you're not necessarily going to double up the amount of, of restaurants you eat in in the latter half of the year. Right. So, and it's like, you know, the movies and all this, those sales are gone and they're gone forever, you know, and that's, that's the point. Um, so I guess it's it's doing what you can when places are open again is to go and book and you know um, especially the the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights, not necessarily your Friday and Saturday nights. Mm. Um, those I think are the things that restaurants would really
0: appreciate. Cool, I'm ready. I'm ready and willing <laughs> to go, to go eat out three days a week when this when this starts up again. Uh, when society is open for business again. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you guys have more questions about, um, about home cooking? And
1: I do actually. Oh, so, yeah, all right. Too. So, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so much. Cause I was actually going through, I remember when I first moved here, I, I was actually, re- I would read your column. Um, oh. and then, yeah. And then I was like, Oh, maybe I should have gotten the dinner cookbook, but you know, that was in a more innocent time where Amazon could have deposited it on my doorstep. Um, <laughs> But um, I was going to ask you sort of what, one, what recipes in your column or your dinner book, which, you know, I know overlap, would you be cooking now? Would you suggest people eat now? And also, what are you planning to cook for the week?
2: Oh, well, I did go, as mentioned, I I did go on an Alison Roman kind of binge. So I I did. um, And I have to be honest, I really hate food shopping i hate going to supermarkets it's like if it's the one thing i could offload onto somebody else i happily would and um so i did do a big shop and decided that's it i'm going to try and spend one to two days and really try and cook for the week um and get some other projects done during the day and and try and use the, the time wisely so certainly cooking some stews and things like that um are definitely worthwhile Having things because, you know, especially if they're children in the house and um, there's a husband lurking as well. So they all come in and annoy me, expecting me to cook lunch as well. And I'm like, go away. You know, it's just go and figure out lunch yourselves. I'm not responsible for breakfast and lunch. I'll cook you dinner, but that's it. So certainly having things like making hummus, making things like even a really simple smoked salmon pate, loads of capers and red onions and lemon and dill and some cream cheese you can whip that up in two seconds. And um, having things like that are great. There's also um, a cracker book. I tend to eat low carb, really, most of the time. but um, And when you eat low carb, you really miss things like bread and basically the, the sort of vectors that you can put fat, cheese, butter, things like that onto. So there's a really great recipe in the ketogenic kitchen, which are, are these crackers, they're cracking crackers, and they're Basically, they're just made with seeds um, and uh, things like psyllium husk is what binds it, some coconut oil, loads of fennel and thyme and salt. And you bake them till they're really, really crisp. They're absolutely delicious. So again, having a batch of those uh, so that people can kind of go and graze and just do their own thing. Is, and you can is put great. a triple creme cheese on top of it. Yes,
0: exactly. That's a, a delicious... Deli- to make your cracker interesting and then have all your like doesn't like make your vessel for all that better than the kind of exactly yeah yeah like mealy carby dumb store-bought cracker that you ordinarily would have
2: yes precisely I mean and also soups um, I know it's boring as hell but again soups are a brilliant way to just get rid of all the veg that has seen better days um, you know and you, you, you there's always onions lurking in the bottom of your fridge you know a good glug of butter or olive oil uh, throw in all those vegetables throw in some water if you have a stock cube great you know stock cubes are predominantly salt so again don't be stressing going oh I need chicken stock I need vegetables just throw in water throw in salt throw in all the herbs that are lurking and, and, and- I love it you're so like I, you're going throw in salt because salt is my favorite That's so good and like, oh. i i get so frustrated with the uh the i suppose the the bad rap salt gets is absolutely critical without salt we die and you know seasoning your food properly there's nothing worse than bland food that's under seasoned so yeah Right. and then people
0: go oh home cooking's no good i
2: know salt add salt have you ever
0: have you ever made like chicken stock or something and you know when you're draining out the stock you take out like the world's most mangled gross like 18 hour boiled piece of celery (laughs) or carrot and you just put like a little sea salt on it and you're like i'm gonna give this a try And it's actually delicious. <laughs> like, delicious. That chicken rescue so anything. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> A little drizzle of olive oil. You're like, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do an entire plate of this. <laughs>
2: oh, totally. And I mean, it's it's also that kind of the the stickiness that you can get off off certain things, and that sort of caramelization, the Maillard technique, all those things, and you know, those are all sort of scientific. Um, changes in food and then salt just brings out this sort of magic. And you know, anyone who's doubting that, you just sort of eat, a, eat an avocado plain, eat an avocado with some salt on it, eat a tomato plain, eat a tomato with a sprinkle of salt. It's like chalk and cheese. There's this sort of dynamite um, that happens in your mouth and it's just, yeah, salt. I love salt. Everyone jokes like when we go to catering jobs they actually have to bring it's a turn into a joke now they actually bring this sort of the, the the three pound bucket of mold and sea salt because like if we run out of salt at something i start going itchy i go crazy so yeah. yeah salt is is the thing it
0: solves a lot of problems that's that's like lovely advice because i feel like a lot of people might you know feel like there's um Some kind like feel like they they should be scolded for throwing too much salt around in their home kitchens, but actually, when you're just using sea salt by the pinch, you're you're not going to hurt yourself. You're not going to give yourself like a blood pressure situation. No,
2: (laughs) not at all. And 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 honestly, a lot of that that um, that old science is being challenged. It's it's like our whole approach to saturated fat, and I'm talking about healthy, natural, stable saturated fats. You know, like your butter, your duck fat, your ghee. You know, all these things. You know, these are all natural foods that are, you know, loads of, of beneficial of nutritional benefits, um, and uh, your your olive oils and
0: so on. Yeah, thankfully, I love that. <laughs>
2: yeah, you know, certainly this idea that you're putting in gallons of butter into your coffee and so on—that I don't think that's sensible, and I don't think that's uh, that's delicious. And anyway, I think I think bulletproof coffee is one of the vilest things you can drink. Um, but you know, and I'm a I'm a low carb fan. Um, but uh, you know, I think it, it's it's you know, butter makes taste, uh, food absolutely delicious and stuff. Where you have the problems is where people are adding in lots of fat. And lots of carbohydrates. That's where you have the problem. And if you think about it, sort of butter
0: and sugar. That's that's a recipe for disaster. Quick, someone else ask a different question before I tell. Like, anyone I wanted to about, just about my breast milk in the refrigerator. <laughs> don't let me. Don't let me. I
3: wanted to say um, to to Dominique just. I, lately, when I look at cookbooks, I'm overwhelmed by the amount of ingredients. And I found mm. a cookbook that was a three-ingredient cookbook by Roseanne <laughs> Gold. And I was just I, – I couldn't believe how simple food can be. Do you feel that some some cookbooks like are just so complicated that people – it just turns them off? I, I feel like all the chats of all the moms I know – There's a lot of complaining about cooking and kids don't want to eat this. Do you think that we've made it too complicated that we need to kind of pare it back and say, look, this is three ingredients? I find Spanish food is a little bit more simple sometimes than other cuisines. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I must check out that book. That sounds,
2: sounds brilliant. Um, and that, I suppose, was the foundation of my, um, the basis for my column in the Irish Times uh, for all those years was. I mean, I, I, I adore cookbooks and I get them, but I, I, I just flick through them. I flick through the photos. I, I look at the combinations. I rarely have to follow recipes or anything. And that, you know, and why should I? I'm a trained chef, so I don't need to drill down on the recipes and follow them precisely. Um, but uh, they're, they're, they're to inspire as opposed to instruct. But for me, it was taking those recipes and saying, right, you don't need to do this. Don't need to do that. Don't need to do that. And how could I translate those lovely recipes from these amazing food writers into something easier and more manageable? And again, just getting people over that hump of looking down the list of ingredients and going, oh, I don't have that. And oh my God, that's gonna take too much time. And oh God, it was just the sense of, Get on with it. Just chop it up. They don't need to be a centimeter. Just look, take the peel off the onion, chop it up any old way. Doesn't matter. Just get into the pan. And if you cook it long enough, it's going to sweat right down. Doesn't matter that you've chopped it in some haphazard, useless, with a useless knife. Just get it into the pan. And, you know, this is what you want it to turn into. If you want to sweat those onions, do sweat them. Sweat them for 10 minutes. Don't just give them a, a 30 second saute because they will taste kind of raw and icky. So it was trying to get people to understand the fundamentals of, of cooking techniques without the hassle, I suppose. I think yeah, and, the cost,
3: and one thing the cost, sometimes you look at recipes and you think, oh, half a bottle of maple syrup and you think how much is this going to cost? I think maybe now is a good time to look for those really, really simple recipes. Uh, there's a Absolutely. recipe I love in Spain that kids have which is called Cuban rice, and it's basically rice and then fried tomato that you can buy in Spain. It's like a passata, but fried, and an egg and a fried banana. And this is the kind of staple meal that kids have when they come home. So we need to reach for something like that. Just really simple. They're going to like it. You know, maybe substitute the white rice for whole grain rice. But let's keep it simple. I I, I think that, you know maybe that's, i love
2: that and and that's that's key to it and, and like i love that that recipe is just brilliant because it is you just imagine you dump one thing into the other and just put a lid on it and, and I mean, then try i've an been egg,
0: sitting you know? here for a couple of minutes trying to figure out where the banana
2: goes I'm like,
1: i yeah i am gonna do <laughs> i'll send thing. you a picture <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. it's fabulous but those are those it, are the kind of thing and it's it's like you know when you when you think about it like kids uh, in general, they're active. You know, they don't they don't walk over to the to have breakfast. They usually are cartwheeling or trampoline. You know, they are burning up energy with every action that they do. They're growing as well, so they have a huge capacity to eat a huge amount of food um, and burn through it. But it's this this sense that um, that cooking is you know, I, I suppose for kids that we always defer and and default to baking sweet stuff with kids, if we're trying to mm. teach them to cook, because it's easier, it's less risky, there's usually not knives involved. And for me, you know, that's all they want to do is they want to bake. And I'm just like, actually, no, learn to do something savory and actually useful and nutritionally valuable, as opposed to always trying to bake cakes. But, you know, that, and I guess it's, it's us as parents um, and guardians of just getting over that hump of actually taking the fear out of cooking and,
0: and allowing kids a bit more freedom in the kitchen. I would love for my three-year-old to make me like a chicken Kiev someday. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I want gonna, any more cupcakes. I, I don't gonna, want another cupcake as long as I live.
1: <laughs> I want to say actually with them, I mean, because um, all of you guys are mothers, I'm not, but what would be some savory recipes that you might immediately teach your kids?
2: so soup is a really good one and of course they all love the the blitzing gun you know to 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 blitz it so that's always a thing but but even making things like hummus out of tin chickpeas you know food processors a little small food processor is really great because magic can happen in that and again you're just teaching them about seasoning you know there's your chickpeas they get blitzed put a splash of hot water in there, you know, put some olive oil, let's get the garlic, crush that and everything. And that's you know, and look, if they're a bit bit sort of like, uh, chickpeas, you you can flesh it out by adding some mayonnaise, which is a bit white trash, but at the same time, you know, it's getting kids over the hump of what they will and won't eat. And sometimes if you have to cheat things a little bit to get them onto better food, I'm, you know, I'm fine with that. I think that that that's a smart thing to do, but at least then again, use something delicious, uh, or even, you know, making, um, adding some avocado to it or making it sort of guacamole and everything. Again, kids really love that, that flavor of fat and so on. And, you know, then once you have, Again, you know, if you have some celery, if you had some carrot sticks, carrot sticks are so sweet, they tend to eat that kind of thing. So, again, those are sort of shortcuts that you could get people. They're not too taxing on anyone. Making a really simple tomato soup, I mean, sweating an onion, adding a couple of tins of tomatoes, and then whatever you fancy, you know. And if you need to add a pinch of sugar to sort of get them over the acidity hump, you can do that adding a bit of lean parents introduces those sort of anchovy flavors that umami and again really happy you know a bit of cheesy toast with that and they've made a soup
0: happy sometimes days i think what you make also doesn't matter as much as like the make-believe that goes into it do you know what i mean like if you go get your chef's hat and like we're we're in the fancy restaurant and the customers are coming do you know what i mean like maybe totally. that's just me being an insane mom but like no, i think sometimes the role play part of it is almost more it matters more than what you yeah. end up churning out
2: yeah, and it's it's giving the responsibility. So that's the thing. And I sometimes and I am the most impatient cow in the kitchen. So I I sound like I'm I'm sort of like Mama Martha Stewart and, and sort of having children swanning around making stuff. No, I'm usually yelling at them, going, "Don't do it like that!" Oh Jesus Christ! I'll just do it myself. So I'm I'm not. It is you not call that me. a mere paw? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's just like God damn it. So there's um. Uh, it, it is often fraught, but I do have to keep reminding myself. You know, children of this age were sent. Up the mines back in back in Victorian times, <laughs> so, so let them with a knife, just you know, getting
0: you have to remind yourself of with that. a knife in time <laughs> to, to social
1: distance. Whereas once upon a time they would be working in the mines. Is a good? Yeah, thing. exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs> um Cool. Well, listen, Donnie, you've been so uh, generous with your time. I think we've all got. Um, Children who are probably, or some of us have t- children that are about to uh, knock the door down.s And I think <laughs> May's got a husband who needs a lot of caretaking <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah, so, you have to cook um, that that
2: fried rice or fried tomatoes. And yeah, rice fried tomatoes and banana. rice with bananas. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm Blanca, banana,
1: Blanca, can I, Blanca, can you send us a picture? Is it a dick pic? Like, is it like a
3: full banana or is it chopped? <laughs> yeah, well, you basically put half a banana, a fried egg, like a Spanish fried egg, like deep fr- fried and then the rice and then you put it the rice in a cup. So you have a little mountain and then the tomato. So my daughters, even though they're a little bit older now, they love that because visually it's really cool. It's like a mountain, the banana and the egg. That is hilarious.
2: It's like a a sort of meal in one, like space food. It's all one
0: dish. So um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it sounds sounds intriguing. Um, All right. Well, I'm not going to, for for technical reasons, everyone, bear with me while I do the outro real quick. (laughs) Usually we would say goodbye in a very classy fashion (laughs) to Dominique and do this separately. But (laughs) um, listen, if you've enjoyed this, subscribe, Um, definitely go to our Instagram, Spice Bags Pod, where we'll have a picture of um, Blanca's hopefully not obscene after-school children's (laughs) snack, um, is spicebagspod at gmail.com. If you have any, um, ideas, questions, feedback, um, I know you're lonely. (laughs) (laughs) We're there for you. All right. Um, thanks so much.
2: This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.